So again, welcome to H2O. It's really good uh, to have you here with us. I want to give a shout out to H2O Akron who is joining us via video. And uh, we're excited to be together today because we're starting a couple weeks in a row where we're going to be looking into the Gospels and looking at these different parables that Jesus uh, told the people that were following him that really give us a picture into the heart of who God is and into the heart of, of who Jesus is and the type of life life that Jesus wants for us. And in fact, today we're going to look at a parable that might be the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. And in my opinion, it is one of the most profound uh, teachings or lessons that has ever been told in the history of the world. And so I'm really excited today to jump in to this parable. But as we do, I want to start off with asking you a question. And and I want to ask you if you've ever been lost before. Have you ever been in this situation where, like, you are actually lost? Now, nowadays with GPS and everything, it's actually kind of hard to get lost, but some of us, we find ways to do it anyway, right? And um, for myself and my wife, we, uh, we had this one experience where we were completely lost. We were on our honeymoon, actually. It was very early in our marriage, obviously. We, we were a couple days in, and we were down in Mexico on our honeymoon. And uh, it's this beautiful place. It's, it's an amazing place to be a part of. And uh, when we were down on our honeymoon, this hurricane actually came through, Hurricane Claudette. And um, so uh, during that time, we, we couldn't go outside. We just had to stay in our room. What a bummer, you know, for honeymooners. You know, you have to find something to do uh, on your honeymoon. Uh, so we just had to stay in our room and bunker down. All right. So um, that was right in the middle of our honeymoon. But the next day, the hurricane came through, and uh, things were still kind to close, but really the weather had completely cleared up. They, the, the hurricane wasn't quite as bad as they thought there was going to be, so everything was still shut down, but the weather and the conditions were totally fine. So we decided to go on an adventure, and we left the, the mainland and the resort that we were on in Mexico, and we went across on this little boat to this little island of Cozumel in Mexico. Maybe some of you have heard it before. And as we ended up over in this, this little island of Cozumel, we, we landed there, and we got off and we were expecting to see all types of, you know, bustling activities and all types of tourism and everything because that's what much of the island is built around. Well, as we got there, it was still, like, completely closed down for the hurricane. Even though everything was fine, even though there was no damage, nobody was open for anything. So we're on this beautiful island, but there's really nothing to do. And so me being the the adventurous young man that I was, uh, I was like, let's rent a moped and let's just explore Cozumel. You know, and my wife, now, if I would have said that today, she would be like, nope, not doing it. But, you know, she was still naive enough to trust me, you know. We were early on in our marriage, and so she's like, you know, I want to encourage my husband to be, you know, adventurous. So she's like, okay, we'll do it. So we get this little moped. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, um, but it's like a really small, way too small moped, but really one person. But we both jumped on. We have our our little helmets, and we start driving. And uh, as we drive, we were kind of stopping at a couple places, and at first, we're staying pretty close to the, the main port that we got dropped off at. But as we went further and further, like, everything was closed, you know? And so there just wasn't that much to do. And so I have this idea. Let's just 
drive all the way around the island and just explore and just get a feeling, get away from the touristy stuff and get to the real stuff. Um, and so we start driving out this road, and we are about 10, 15 miles out in the middle of nowhere on this little island of Cozumel. And all of a sudden, as we're driving along like Dumb and Dumber, our back tire pops, and we're like swerving around. And we are 15 miles out in who knows where, and we have no way to get back. We are completely, like, out of options. And so we, we're like, what are we going to do? I don't know. You know, we didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have anything to get a hold of anybody. So we start walking down the road just trying to, to hope that things are figured. And we weren't sure if we should really hitchhike because, you know, I mean, we were obviously tourists and we could have been taken advantage of. So we were kind of trying to act like we knew what we were doing, but also we were like kind of scared. So we walked for like, I would say a mile and, and we find this like this place that looks like maybe there would be people there. And, uh, and so we start walking down this path. We're hoping that it's maybe like a little hidden resort or something like that. As we're walking down the path, there's like iguanas jumping out at us. There's, you know, we're, we're totally like just not sure what we should be doing thinking we we go down to the end of this path and it leads out to the ocean and we're like oh this is great this is beautiful and as we look around it is completely desolate there's like it used to be a resort it used to be something pretty cool but it's completely empty and it was run down and it was like out of a horror movie and we're like we got to get out of here so we turn around we walk back the other way and uh, we, we finally start walking around and, and eventually we come to a resort place and eventually we find a telephone. We figure out how to call this place. They send the tow truck to come and pick us up and drive us back in. And uh, we finally got back and my wife was like, wow, that was crazy. You know, we should definitely not do that. That was scary. We didn't know what was going to happen. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's like, can we just go back to the resort? And I'm like, no. You know, we paid for this moped all day long. And, uh, and so we got another moped. And um, <laughs> terrible idea. And so this time um, we're like, we're just going to stay in town. And so we're just driving around in town. We're not going to be crazy and try to go all the way around the island. We're driving around downtown, and all the, the signs were kind of, you know, it's a different country. I wasn't used to driving a moped in, in Mexico. And, and so we, we start to go the wrong way down a one-way street. And there's a, a, a Mexican police officer standing right there, and he gives me this dirty look, and he's like, turn around, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Well, he thinks, I, so I drive up a little further uh, because I'm going to turn around, and he thinks I'm totally ignoring him, and so he starts blowing his whistle, screaming and yelling at me, and I'm like, no, 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 sir, no, I'm going to turn around, and he starts chasing after us, and, uh, and, and, and so I turn around right away, and I drive right back, him, and he's just staring at me like he is going to throw me in jail, and my, my wife and I are like, we are going to end up in a jail in Mexico on our honeymoon. Moon. This is a terrible experience. And so finally, we got back to the resort, and we just could not wait to get home. Even though it was amazing, even though it was exciting, having that experience where we were lost, it's a fun story now, but, but we were pretty scared. We were pretty petrified. We were pretty nervous. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those situations where you've actually been felt vulnerable. You know, you've actually been out in the middle of nowhere where you didn't know exactly what to do. And even more than that, you didn't know how you're going to get home. You know, you, you had some ideas and maybe you thought that you could figure it out, but you just weren't sure how or if you were even going to get home. Well, the story that we're going to look at today has a lot of parallels to that story. See, the story that we're going to look at today, there is somebody 
who is lost. And in finding his way back home, this, this son that we're going to hear this story about, he finds this amazing gift in the way of finding his way back home. And so the big idea that we want to talk about, that we want to discover together here today is this, that God's grace extends to everyone no matter how lost we are. God's grace extends to everyone no matter how lost we are. You see, the story that we're going to look at today is about a son who was lost, about a son who was out in the middle of nowhere based on the decisions that he had made, and he was not sure how to get back home. And we're going to see how Jesus lays out this parable and talks about how this loving father helps this son find his way back home. The story that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 15 today. It's called the story of the lost son or, or the prodigal son. And in some context as we jump into this story, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is actually talking about lost things. He gives a couple different parallels about things that are lost and what people will do in order to get these lost things back. And, and Jesus, as he is telling this parable, he's talking to two specific groups of people. If you look at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, which we're going to spend some time in today, it, it says that there's a couple different types of people that were listening to Jesus' parable as he was telling it. There were tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. And so Jesus is talking to those of us who are maybe even entrenched in sin in some way or another right here in life because Jesus was talking to these people who were really running from God, people who were at the lowest of low points in their life. That was one group of people that was listening to this parable. But then it says there was another group that was listening to Jesus teach and tell these parables as well. And this was the group of the religious people, the Pharisees, the people who outwardly had everything together. Outwardly, they didn't think they were lost at all. They thought they were right where they were supposed to be. And, and it's going to be interesting as we unpack this parable because I think that Jesus has something to say to those of us who might be in that spot here as well today. See, the parable of the lost son isn't just for, for those of us who might be running from God or, or, or outwardly, visibly running from God. The parable of the lost son is told for every single one of us to take note of. So I'm excited to, to open up our Bibles and to jump in together today. Uh, it's Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. And I just want to say this as well as we're jumping in. Maybe you've heard uh, this parable or this story 10, 20, 100 times. Maybe you grew up in church and, and you've heard this so many times and you're like, okay, I know how the story goes. I got it down. I can kind of tune out. Well, I want to ask you to just maybe kind of wipe the slate clean here today. And even if you've heard it before, even if you've heard a message on the prodigal son before, would you just kind of come to this text with maybe fresh eyes and a fresh heart and see if God would reveal something to you today because uh, scriptures are alive and active in our lives. And so uh, just because we've heard them before doesn't mean that God still can't use them in our lives to make a powerful impact on us. So that's Luke chapter 11 or Luke chapter 15 verse 11. It says this, it says, Jesus continued, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth 
and wild living. All right, we have to stop there and kind of unpack what is going on here because this is a powerful, provocative story that Jesus is about to tell. And we have to understand a little bit of what was going on culturally during that time to really get the heart of what Jesus was getting at. This moment that Jesus is describing was almost breathtaking as the listeners during that time would have been sitting there. This moment was a powerful moment where, where the younger son did something that people, as they listened to that, they could hardly even fathom or imagine how selfish this younger son must have been. Uh, that word prodigal, sometimes we call the, the story the prodigal son, it literally means reckless or wasteful. It, and it's somebody who wastes the gifts or resources that have been given to them. And it comes from this verse four, four, 13 where it says he wasted his wealth and wild living. Because during that time and during that culture, family was extremely important. We value family during, during our time here. You know, we, family is important to us. But to them, it was everything. And so for a younger son to come to a father and say, listen, I want my inheritance now would have been the worst possible thing that he could have done. It was literally like looking at his father, who was a good father, as we can tell from this story. It would have been like looking at him and saying, listen, I wish that you were dead, but you're not dead yet. You're still around. And, and the only thing I actually care about is what you can do for me or what you can give for me. So I'm just going to act like you're dead. Therefore, give me what I want, what I think I deserve. I want you for your money, so give it to me now, and I'm going to take it and leave. Now, uh, again, in our culture, that's kind of expected that at some point in your life, you kind of leave and you move out of your house and you go start your own life. Well, in this culture... Typically what would happen was if the father had an estate, a house, if your, your parents, uh, especially they were wealthy, you would just build on to their house more and more and more. You wouldn't actually leave. You would just build another room and, and the homestead would get bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of us are like, that sounds kind of weird. Well, that's what they did during that time. For us nowadays, it's like if you're, you know, we make jokes about people living in their parents' basement for too long and those types of things. But for them during that time, that was the norm. Okay, so it was expected that the son would never leave, that he would just stay, especially if it's a good, loving father. But instead, the son looks at the father and he says, I want your money and I want to get out of here. This is extremely hurtful. You see, the younger son made the mistake of valuing his father's wealth and his possessions more than valuing his father's love and his care for him. And I think even as we start off in this parable that Jesus is telling us, obviously throughout this parable, the father in this story represents God, our heavenly father. And the sons in this story represent us, all of humanity. And so as the younger son looked at the father who represents God, he only wanted him for what he could do for him, for his wealth. And I wonder, I wonder if just like this younger son just wanted his father for his stuff, if we've ever struggled with that in our relationship with God. You know, think about that for a minute. Do we really love God when we sing those words like Kent said of give me Jesus? Do we, do we really want to experience Jesus for, for his deep love for us? Or do we want to worship God for what he can do for us? For his stuff, for his blessings, for the opportunities that he provides for us. You know, as we look at our relationship with God, do we worship God because of who he is? And how deeply he loves for us and cares for us. Or do we want his stuff? 
Is God just kind of like this cosmic vending machine to us that, that we're just constantly praying to and hope to give us more and more blessings, more and more opportunities, rather than just basking in who he created us to be, his children who, deeply, who, who he deeply loves and cares for. So the son made a massive mistake in assuming that this father was only valued for his possessions. And so he takes this possessions and he runs. Verse 14 says this. It says, after he had spent everything, we don't know how long, but over a period of time he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Again, this moment has to be understood in the, the context and the culture during that time. The younger son has a plan. He's going to go party and enjoy and live life. And his plan backfires because the money ran out rather quickly. And so he finds himself in this moment where he is at a rock bottom place in life. Okay, uh, again, culturally, uh, this was a Jewish family. And so pigs were considered unclean. You know, they were untouchable. And here we have this wealthy Jewish young man who's rolling around with the nasty, disgusting, unclean, untouchable pigs. Lowest of the low points you could possibly ever be. And not only that, it says that this kid, he was so hungry that he had to give the pigs food that he wanted to eat. But instead, he's giving it away to these unclean animals. He was at a rock bottom moment, at a rock bottom place in his life. I wonder if you've ever been in one of those spots. As a, as a pastor, as somebody in ministry, I've sat with people in those moments. You know, and it's such a hard place to be. I remember a, a couple years ago sitting with a friend of mine who uh, was in ministry and found himself going through a divorce, and we were just sitting there, and I remember him saying those words, I never thought that I would end up in this situation. I, I don't think I could go any lower. I don't think, I didn't think that I would ever be here. Now, maybe you can relate. Now, maybe you've, you've, you've been there. Maybe you're even close to there right now. As you sit here, and maybe on the outside, it, it seems like you have it all together, but inwardly, you feel like you are at a rock-bottom place. Inwardly, you feel like you're kind of rolling around in the mud with the pigs, or, or maybe God has taken things away from you for whatever reason. Maybe it was based on your decisions. Uh, uh, this son, he ended up in this spot not because uh, of, of anything that, that God did to him. He ended up in this spot because of a decision that he made, and so now he is a rock bottom place and you can just picture him saying man how did I get here how did I end up here in verse 17 says and then he came to his senses and he said how many of my father's hired hands and servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him father I've sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and so he got up, and he went back to his father. So we see him hitting that rock bottom moment, and then realizing, okay, I got to do something. 
Something has to change. I can't continue to, to starve to death as, as I'm sitting here. And, and so he comes up with this plan. And he's kind of practicing this speech as he's picturing himself going back to his father. And he knew, because again, remember, this was provocative. He knew there was no possible way his father could or would ever take him back. It would be, like, unthinkable. It would be impossible. I, I mean, there's no possible way. So he, he comes up with the second best option. Maybe he'll just hire me. Maybe I can be like one of his servants. See, this younger son got humbled in life to a spot where he was finally humbled. And he makes a decision to go back to the father, not even out of conviction, not even out of, oh, man, you know, what I did was wrong. I need to go make things right with my dad. He made a decision to go back to the father. Why? Because he wanted to eat. He didn't want to starve to death. Have you ever thought about this, if you've heard this story before? You know, sometimes uh, God takes a situation in our life, and even when our motives aren't where they should be, God still uses it to bring us back to him. You know, sometimes we feel like our motives have to be perfect in order for God to, to use a situation to bring us back to him. This younger son was certainly not trying to make things right because he was a man of character and conviction. He was hungry. And so God took the situation that he was in, and he said, I'm going to use this to restore a relationship with your father. And so I want to give us all a little bit of hope here today as we talk about being at maybe rock bottom places, wherever you might find yourself in. And maybe you're not there. We'll get to you here in a minute. But if you are, I want to encourage you, is God using the situation that you're in, no matter where your heart is, no matter where your motive is, to draw you back to him? And would you just take one little step of faith towards him and see what that one step of faith does and turns into a bigger step and turns into a bigger step. And maybe, just maybe, like this younger son we're going to see get reunited with his father. Maybe that's what God wants to do with you and your life as you sit here today. Don't feel like you have to be perfect. Don't feel like your motives have to be perfect. Don't feel like you even have to clean yourself up before you're willing to turn and say, God, I need you, and cry out to him and see what God does with the humility of somebody who's broken. God loves to work in broken people's hearts and lives. All throughout scriptures, we see it, and we see it here. Verse 20, the son's walking back to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, and he started running to him. Now, again, picture the son in this situation. You haven't seen your dad for a long time. You know that your dad could certainly punish you during that time. You're a long way off, and all of a sudden, you see your father running towards you. You're gone. There's one of two things that are going to happen right now. Either I'm going to get taken out, you know, or maybe, just maybe, he's going to have some compassion well, he's a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gave him the speech that he had been practicing over and over again on this long walk home. I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy, Dad. I blew it. I know. I got consequences I have to pay. Verse 22, though, but the father said to his servant, his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. This is extravagant grace that God wants to extend to each and every one of us. Extravagant grace, which means undeserved favor, undeserved merit. This son deserved nothing. This son didn't even deserve a job as as his father's servants. And instead, his father says, listen, let's celebrate. Give him the best robe. Give him a ring. And and we talk about the story being called the prodigal son sometimes. Tim Keller, he's, he's a famous author and pastor. He wrote a book called The Prodigal God. And he unpacked this story, and he talked about just as the son was wasteful with the resources that his father had given him, the father was wasteful and reckless in his grace and love for his son. See, God recklessly loves us. God recklessly cares for us. God almost wastefully forgives us over and over and over again. And it's not based on our actions. It's not based on our works. This is the gospel. This is what sets our faith apart from any other faith system because we cannot and we do not have to work our way back to the Father over and over and over again. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to rest in the fact that we're his children and that there's nothing that we can do Nothing too far gone, nothing too terrible that would make God turn his back on us and from us. Uh, Picture this. God, the Father, knows you and your sinfulness more than anybody else, even more than yourself. You know that? God is omniscient, means he knows everything. So God the Father knows us and our sinfulness more than anybody else. And yet at the same time, God the Father loves us more than anyone else. And and so that brokenness that we have, that lostness that all of us have, it doesn't push God away from us. It doesn't make God say, I want to move further and further from you. God draws us towards himself during that time. And that's an amazing thing, the reckless grace that God has for us. I remember uh, myself, I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you've ever been at one of these spots where you just like were wrestling with brokenness and sin. In your life, I remember for myself, um, I, I grew up in kind of a, a Christian home. I knew a lot of the right rules. I knew a lot of the things that I was supposed to do. And yet I did not live a life for Christ for the first 18 years of my life. And so even though I had a foundation that I should have built on to, to grow in a relationship with Christ, I actually did the opposite. I remember, um, you know, getting to a point when I was in high school where I had done everything that I said that I would never do. I was sexually immoral. I experimented with drugs. I was a terrible friend. I, all these things that I thought that I would never become. And, and by God's grace, he saved me out of that brokenness. And so I remember uh, being an 18-year-old and just accepting Christ a couple weeks earlier. I remember being down in my basement, and um, I was just kind of wrestling with the guilt and the shame that comes from knowing that, that I had wasted opportunities. I had wasted what God had given me. And uh, I remember thinking, man, I, I could have lived for, for Christ all throughout high school, and who knows the impact that I would have had. And I was wrestling with all this guilt and the shame 
and, uh, and, and the destruction that I had brought on my life. And as I was kind of wrestling with this, I was down in my basement, and the, the radio was playing in the background, and, and I was praying, and I was just, just asking God to, to give me a proper perspective on who I was before him. And uh, as I was praying, all of a sudden, this, this classic, amazing song came on the radio, and God really used it to speak to my heart. I want to play just a couple words of this classic song. Backstreet Boy, can you believe it? That was, uh, that was a true story. I remember sitting down in my basement, and, and that song came on as I, was, uh, as I was having this quiet time, and I was like dancing to it, and I was like, yeah, God does love me. God doesn't care who I am, where I've been, what I've done. I love him. <laughs> And I'm a new creation. And I kept singing that song, you know, for like weeks. And people were like, you're weird. And I'm like, I know. I know. Um, but but, but I, I felt like the words of that song were so powerful in my life. It's so weird. I'm sure the prodigal son felt the same way, you know. I remember the, the words of that song just resonating with me that, that God wants to embrace us. And the past is the past. He wants a new future for us. And we want to be a church that models that. We want to be a church that embraces broken people. You know, if we ever have to err on the side of too much grace, we're going to err on the side of too much grace because that is what the gospel is all about. You don't have to clean yourself up to get back to God. He loves you recklessly. You just have to take one step towards him. But check this out. Verse 25. Because I think a lot of us can relate with the younger son, but I want to ask you, to just think about this in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants, and he asked him, What's going on? He says, Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has had him back safe and sound. And his older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. He was pouting. He said, so his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look at all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat. Isn't that sad when you don't get a young goat? You know, I mean, you never even gave me a young goat. You can picture the kid pouting. So I could celebrate with my friends. So when this son of yours, who had squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf. My son, father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we've had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's now found. See, sometimes as we read this story, we make a mistake, and thinking the younger son was the only one that was lost. This older son was just as lost. See, he never left, but he was just as lost. See, the older son felt like he deserved to be loved because of his obedience. Felt like he had earned the father's love. He, he, he felt like, you know what, I've been slaving away for you. How in the world could you possibly extend grace to this kid, this punk kid? Who's wasted so much. It doesn't even make sense to me. He doesn't deserve it. And as we listen to this story, 
at first glance, probably a lot of us can relate to the younger son, right? Because we've all run. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short. But I wonder if taking a deeper look, I wonder how many of us might actually be able to relate maybe even a little bit more with the older brother, with the, the older son. And that's humbling to admit. We live in a culture and in a world that, that can't stand when people are judgmental, right? That, that can't stand when, when people have these expectations. But at the same time, if we're just really honest and we look in our hearts, maybe on the outside we have it all together, but inside we struggle with resentment. Inside, we struggle with anger. Inside, we feel like we deserve maybe a little bit more than God's actually given us. So I want to ask you, which brother can you relate to here this morning? Maybe neither of them? Maybe both of them? Let me ask you a couple questions to, to kind of process this. As people would describe you, would they describe you as someone who's loving and gracious are someone who likes to be right and doesn't make many mistakes. How would people describe you? When you see somebody make a mistake, when you see someone fall short, when you see someone mess up, how do you respond? Outwardly? And then how do you respond in your heart towards them? And then as you think about the way that you live your life, as you think about trying to follow Christ, as you think about trying to, to love other people, do you do those things out of obligation or out of true love that comes from the gospel and what Jesus has done for us? You see, it's interesting because the younger son, he, he sinned in a way that was so easily recognizable, right? Everybody could look at it. And that should not minimize it because what he did was extremely damaging and harmful for the family and for himself. You know, this is not to excuse sin. Grace does not excuse sin at all. It certainly doesn't because it has consequences in our lives. But the younger son's sin were so recognizable and visible. He rebelled morally. He allowed himself to be swept away in lust and greed that existed in the world. But the, the, the older son rebelled too. But his rebellion wasn't as recognizable. See, outwardly he was faultless. And remember, Jesus is telling this story to a group of prostitutes and tax collectors and a group of religious leaders and Pharisees. So on the outside, he was faultless, but when confronted with his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, his sin was exposed. All of a sudden, he couldn't hide it anymore. He couldn't keep it in, and he started pouting. And suddenly, his sin became glaring. The resentfulness, the pride, the unkindness, the selfishness, sins that had remained deeply hidden in his heart all of a sudden started coming out. Henry Nowen wrote a book about this, this passage. It's a book that really had a profound impact in my life. I, I read it when I was in seminary. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And uh, in his book, he says this. He says, I wonder which does more damage, lust or resentment? I wonder what does more damage, you know, greed and lust or pride and resentment? Comparing and contrasting the older brother and the younger brother, he says there's so much resentment among the just and the righteous. 
there can be so much judgment, condemnation, prejudice among Christians. So here's the bottom line. Both of the sons were lost. Both of the sons had left home. And yet God extended grace to both of them. Look in this verse. It says, my son, the father said to his older son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And so not only does the father extend grace to the younger son who, who wasted everything, he extends grace to the older son as well. See, God's grace is available for all of us. And as we close, the hero of this story isn't the younger son. The hero of this story isn't the older son. The hero of this story is the father. And so if we want to ask, who should we be like? We should be like the father who lovingly, patiently celebrates when a lost son comes home and lovingly, patiently celebrates and tries to bring back this older son who even though he was struggling with pride and resentment, continues to extend a hand of grace and mercy to him as well. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what the gospel is. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God loves you and he cares for you and he wants that relationship with you. And as we hear the story of the prodigal sons, I want us to reflect on God's deep love for us and the gospel and how powerful it is. So let's pray and let's, let's worship God together today as we close up.